This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Hey, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing well. I um, I don't I, I don't know if I've talked about my extra foster dog lately, but I foster failed. Uh, so we've added one to the pack. So my week has been pretty busy. <laughs> so you, you added one to the pack, bringing us to a total of... Well, if you count the fosters, I'm up to five. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you lots do it. Lots of walking. Lots of walking. I can imagine. You've got to be the most – and it's it's gotten a little bit cooler lately, so yeah. I, I yeah. don't envy you. And yes. dogs, like, you know, sometimes they want to go out a little bit early. Yes, very early. <laughs> so uh, I imagine you get – they're walking you more than you're walking. Absolutely. Now. Absolutely. Any work call that's like one where I don't need my computer, it's like, all right, guys, let's go on a walk. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Well, let's get into our topic at hand, and we're going to be discussing something that, you know, Mary, we were talking before the show that this is something that I don't think we've really discussed on the program, and we're going to have a conversation about guardianship, what it is, what is involved, and what we need to know, and we are very pleased to welcome onto the show Joyce Massey-Smith, and Joyce is the Director of the Division of Aging and Adult Services within the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. Joyce, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I was just thinking about the the dog walking. <laughs> we have three uh, of our own, and it's it's a little family, and you stay really busy uh, looking after those little personalities and issues. And so I can I can empathize with mm-hmm. Mary and and her foster and, and thank her for oh, that. Um, we we adopted a dog, and and um, there's just so many sweet babies out there. So um, I'm here to talk about aging and guardianship, but always a plug for loving up on those uh, animals that don't have a home. Yeah, you know, it's actually a good topic. We have not ever brought this up before, but there are a lot of senior dogs in the shelters that need homes. It would be perfect uh, family member for uh, seniors and um, someone who's looking for a little companion. So I... Uh, maybe we should do a whole show on dogs. Uh, that would be. <laughs> I think we probably should. I, I there, there's a strong connection between well-being and having a pet uh, for a lot of older adults, and would love to love to talk about that at some point. All right. Well, we're, we'll we'll schedule another show with you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> All right. So let's get into guardianship. Joyce, talk to us a little bit about what is guardianship and who needs a guardian. Okay. So guardianship is a legal term and is handled through the local court system through the clerk of superior court who um, once a petition is filed that uh, somebody believes an individual needs a guardian, those proceedings take place there. And so you'll hear a lot of times people talk about, um, oh, she's incompetent or, you know, they're a ward of the state. And those are all kind of colloquial terms that we don't use and really don't apply. 
But in terms of thinking about who needs a guardian, really the heart and soul of what guardianship should be is when an individual, either through um, some kind of injury or cognitive impairment or other impairment, needs somebody to help them make decisions about daily life. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about what guardianship can do. And um, folks really, um, you know, think that if they have a guardian, then this guardian is going to be able to uh, have access to extra benefits, which is not true. Uh, the, 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 the need for a guardian is just that. Uh, there's, there's no extra supports that come with that. Um, the other issue is there, we, we see in the aging population, people with cognitive impairments, dementia and Alzheimer's are, are the primary diagnoses we see uh, in terms of people needing a guardian. Mm -hmm. And because of the way the d disease progresses, it, it gets, um, you know, to the point that that person just can no longer make those decisions. Uh, we've also seen an increase in the number of persons with serious and persistent mental illness at younger ages needing a guardian mm -hmm. um, for some of the same reasons, their ability to make decisions and receive the care and treatment that they need. But what we are about, and I'll tell you a little bit later in the show when it comes up, we're about preventing guardianship, if at all possible. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by that is there are alternatives. And the first thing that I would advise your listeners to do, and it doesn't matter how old you are, it's never too soon to plan. And to think about should you become uh, in a place where you cannot make decisions and provide your own care and um, manage your affairs, who would you want to do that? Mm -hmm. And and that's the most person-centered way to approach this is finding or, or naming that trusted friend, loved one, other person um, who, uh, through other legal means that you decide about, can uh, be there to stand in the ready uh, should you need it. And that's what we really, really encourage folks to do is to plan ahead and not wait for that time when, um, you know, there, there's an incident or an emergency and somebody's got to make some decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, examples of that are sometimes when folks need, you know, you know, very invasive treatments and surgeries and somebody has to be able to, uh, approve that and and having that person in place um, is much better and easier on the individual and the family. Um, guardianship is a is a is a very challenging process. Um, the individual who for whom uh, someone is petitioning for guardianship has to present a petition that outlines the reasons why they think the person needs a guardian. And it's up to the clerk of court to do 
more exploration mm-hmm. in terms of uh, medical evidence or other information that would uh, indicate, yes, that this person is not able to uh, make decisions, you know, for their own well-being. And unfortunately, we've seen guardianship misused uh, where by people have been exploited or, uh, you know, have been sort of pushed through. And really, maybe they don't need a guardian. Maybe they just need a circle of friends who can help them make decisions. The other thing that we hear a lot about is younger people uh, with special needs uh, getting ready to graduate uh, from high school and turn 18. And there's a big myth out there that uh, parents should go file for guardianship right away. And that is not the case. Um, As long as, you know, people can participate they can they can live their lives because mm-hmm. one of the things that's so important to remember that while guardianship is intended to protect uh, an individual's rights and uh, ensure their safety and well-being, mm-hmm. guardianship takes a lot of rights away, and um, it, it, it's very um, frightening to think about uh, ha- having your you know rights choose where you live. Uh, taken away, and so that that's the that's the other side of the sort of the balance of how you need to think about guardianship. Mm-hmm. We are speaking with Joyce Massey Smith, and Joyce is the director of the Division of Aging and Adult Services uh, within the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. And we're talking all about guardianship, and we've got so many questions. For Joyce, we're going to do that after we take a quick break. Please don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and our guest on the line is Joyce Massey-Smith, and Joyce is the Director of the Division of Aging and Adult Services within the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, and we're talking all about guardianship, and Mary, Joyce gave us uh, an excellent definition of what guardianship is and what it isn't, Mm -hmm. and, you know, within that, we want to dive a little bit more into uh, basically the types of guardianship, because it's not just one singular term. Absolutely. I think uh, Joyce gave a great overview of who needs guardianship, and th- that brings up a great question. What kinds of guardians uh, guardians are there? Um, and Joyce, tell us a little bit about the different kinds. Absolutely. And um, each state has its own set of statutes. So in North Carolina, the guardianship statute, I uh, would want to point out, is um, GS 35 a and outlines the the 
the law around guardianship if folks are interested. But the types of guardianship um, range from guardian of the person, which means the individual who is appointed guardian has responsibility for the, you know, care, comfort, and maintenance. Where do I live? Uh, what services do I need? Uh, that's the role of the guardian of the person. And then we have um, a guardian of the estate, which is an event uh, is an event, uh, individual appointed to serve when there is um, not not have to be large estate, but uh, an estate and property to manage. And uh, that guardian, oftentimes the attorneys play this role as guardian of the estate and uh, manage the financial affairs of that individual and you can ha have both a guardian of the person and a guardian of the estate and they you know are expected to work together to make sure that that person's needs are met and then finally there's a general guardian who serves as both who serves as the guardian of the person and the guardian of the estate and uh has you know the ability to uh make financial transactions um, and, you know, th their goal is to look after the assets of the person under guardianship. And just quickly, I want to mention, um, we've been working really hard uh, to rethink and reframe guardianship. And I'll give you a website, uh, hopefully before we, we leave, um, that you can be shared with the listeners, is that... Um, just the words we use, like I mentioned earlier, ward of the state, well, th that's just not how we should be talking about people. And so we're trying to talk about um, people who have been adjudicated incompetent um, as um, people under guardianship. And the, the words will change as we do a better job of respecting the rights and the dignity of these individuals. Um, but in North Carolina, uh, we have two ways of having a guardian. One is through a family member, and that's two-thirds of the guardianships uh, that we have in North Carolina. And then we have public agent guardians and uh, also corporate groups that can serve um, as guardians. And um, like I said, about two-thirds are private family individuals. And um, we oversee at, at the division the public component of guardianship services. And um, the clerk, uh, when the, the hearing is held, the clerk will look at the person's assets and there's an inventory done and look at what the needs are and make the determination as to what type of guardian the individual may need. And um, there's, for the guardian of the estate, there's required accounting that's done uh, by that guardian to ensure that their assets and resources are being used appropriately uh, to provide for their care and, and well-being. And uh, we really encourage when there's a separate guardian of the person 
suggested that they and the guardian of the estate uh, work closely together to, to, to make sure that folks' needs are met. And there's another player in this, even though they're not named guardian, but it's called the guardian ad litem. And a lot of people are maybe familiar with that term with children's situations, but a guardian ad litem is appointed uh, when a petition is received and, and uh, accepted uh, for processing a guardian ad litem. Uh, typically, they're attorneys, but other people can serve in that role, other professionals, and they, they have the responsibility of interviewing the individual uh, who's the subject of the guardianship and doing some research and working to come to an opinion about whether or not the guardian ad litem thinks they need a guardian. And they're also required uh, to express their, you know, professional opinion, but also to express the wishes of the individual. Um, and, and that's where we, we are working so hard to make this more person-centered about what that individual wants and thinks they need. And, hey, you know, uh, a lot of people worry about, you know, people who have some limitations making bad decisions. Well, um, we all have that right mm-hmm. to make bad decisions. And so we're, we're trying, um, moving forward to sort of change, to do a little bit of a paradigm shift. And we have this awesome group called Rethinking Guardianship mm-hmm. that started out as a small grant, uh, through our division and has just blossomed into some major work about, uh, you know, being focused on the rights of the individual. And we expect some legislation may be introduced this uh, session around the rights of people under guardianship and the rights of people who are going through a guardianship proceeding uh, to, to make sure that their rights are being protected. And um, so, you know, there are advocates um, who don't have an official role, but who are certainly out there working and the guardian ad litem is an important player in the decision-making process and ultimately, you know, has a recommendation to make uh, to assist the clerk. That's helpful to know. The different types of guardians that uh, can be designated, and we are speaking with Joyce Massey-Smith, and Joyce is the Director of the Division of Aging and Adult Services within the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. And we've got more questions for Joyce in pertaining to guardianship, so please don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF, News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk 
traffic. Hey, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. So many resources and plenty of information available for you there. Transitionslifecare.org. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we are speaking with Joyce Massey-Smith. Joyce is the Director of the Division of Aging and Adult Services within the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, and we're talking all about guardianship. And Mary, we've, we've learned a lot uh, in, over the last few segments here, mm-hmm. and you know, we were just talking about uh, the idea of, okay, um, we've established a guardian here. Mm-hmm. Well, now we need to know, is, is that permanent? How, mm-hmm. long, how long does that last? I think that's a, a good point and something that we should definitely talk about. You know, Joyce talked briefly about children or someone um, with a, a mental health crisis that may need a guardian. So it sounds like it might not be forever. So Joyce, talk to us a little bit about how long does guardianship continue for? Can it be temporary? Can it be reversed? Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, currently, the statute does not have uh, a provision or contemplates uh, a time frame for restoration, and that's that's the term we use, restoration of competency. But working with families and through the public guardianship program, we require that the the guardians. Uh, routinely evaluate and are working toward restoration if that's a possibility. And what that means is uh, a petition is filed to go back to the clerk and say, you know, this illness that was very, you know, acute and causing all kinds of problems is now settled down and this person is, you know, back to the place where they can manage their affairs and, and make their decisions and, and we would you know, present evidence that that's the case to try to restore their competency. I will say it's it's easier to be declared incompetent than to get your competency restored. And um, so there's there's no automatics there. Um, We are moving toward uh, hoping that that can become a reality someday. But, you know, part of the issue is the clerks are just overrun and the court system in terms of dealing with that is, is the challenge. But um, with, with certain situations, um, you know, we would have hoped that guardianship never entered the picture, that there were other options that were chosen ahead of that. Uh, but anybody, um, a person under guardianship or the guardian can file to have uh, competency restored. And that's when they would, if, that, if, if the clerk approved that, then they would you know, no longer be under guardianship. And we are seeing a lot of effort toward restoration. Um, one of the, the misconceptions about guardianship is that you can control behavior if if you're the guardian, and that's really not true. Um, I, I think the comparison I make is when my son was 18, 
Um, I mean, I still had some control, but really, um, you know, only the, the, the waking and sleeping hours that he was under my roof did I have control. And so we, we want people to understand that it, that the guardianship should benefit a person and not just be something that restricts their rights. Mm -hmm. And so we're having restoration. Uh, it, it is a key opportunity. The other thing that clerks are able to do, and we have many clerks that are doing this across the state, is to uh, look at the situation and phase over time restoring certain rights so that uh, there's a, a plan and a time frame that eventually that person can get their rights restored. Clerks can also uh, limit guardianships, and um, it's not always an all-or-nothing kind of decision about whether a person needs a guardian. Maybe their competencies are fully intact with, you know, just daily living activities and, you know, making decisions, but they've never managed their finances and there's some cognitive impairment going on and really just need a little help there. And so the clerk can limit it to only somebody is to help manage this person's assets and limit the guardianship. And so we encourage that, uh, again, because uh, when, when you're adjudicated incompetent, there are so many rights that can be taken away that, you know, may or may not be appropriate for an individual. And so we, uh, the, re the Rethinking Guardianship Initiative that I mentioned, um, you know, is a, is a real movement about that in terms of either restoring or limiting guardianship so that people can uh, live and make choices on their own and allow the dignity of making a mistake. And so we're we're seeing a, a movement toward that uh, because it, it in years past it was a very paternalistic kind of approach that you know you're you're a ward of the state and we're you know you're going to do and live and whatever we say and the person really never had opportunities to participate in the decision making about you know their life choices. So we're excited about that. It's it's still an issue um, that we need to continue to work on, but we're seeing more and more restoration of competencies. But there is not an automatic um, time frame at which um, the case would go back to court to be reviewed to see if the person still needs guardianship. It's up to somebody either the individual or the, the guardian they have to uh, petition for uh, competency restoration. That's really helpful. Joyce, before we close out the show here, can you tell us a little bit more about resources that are available to our listeners? Absolutely. There are two places that I would recommend folks go. One is... Um, the website for Rethinking Guardianship, and uh, it's simply rethinkingguardianship.org, 
and they have a tremendous amount of information, videos, stories about restoration, and a whole uh, lot of information, just frequently asked questions that folks may have. And then our website has information about the program as well, and we are at ncdhhs.gov. And you would just scroll down and look for aging and disability services. Um, we're excited that we had a chance to talk to you today and hopefully have people be thinking ahead of time and, and, and so that they can avoid it because um, sometimes it can get uh, really difficult and challenging with families when they're in crisis and we, we want to avoid that as much as possible. We certainly do, and taking the steps ahead of time to make sure that you've got some planning in order and have had some conversations with your loved ones would be very helpful. Those two websites, again, RethinkingGuardianship.org, RethinkingGuardianship.org, and then the NCDHHS website, NCDHHS.gov, and look for the aging and disability services area. She is Joyce Massey-Smith, the director of the Division of Aging and Adult Services within the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. Joyce, we can't thank you enough for your time today for taking a, a dive into a subject that we haven't really explored before. We really thank you for your time today. Well, thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to share because there's so many misconceptions and, and misunderstandings about what guardianship is and um, having people informed they can make much better choices. So thank you. Uh, it is our pleasure. Again, rethinkingguardianship.org or ncdhhs.gov. Look for aging and disability services there. And if you missed any part of this episode and want to go back and listen to it or share it with a friend, head over to wptf.com, the podcast section there. Look for Aging Matters, and you can find this episode as well as all the other past episodes that we have done as well. We've got more for you right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Jason Kong here with... Mary Lucas, and we are now pivoting to planning, which is something that we love to talk about. And we are very excited to have joining us Claren Inglebreath. She is the, a financial advisor and a mother of four. She's got her hands full. Four <laughs> boys, actually. Uh, I don't know how you do it, Claren, but thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I always tell everyone, they say, well, how do you work as a financial advisor? I said, this is where I come to rest. <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. 
You know, so Claire, and you, your background is in the financial world from corporate loans to mortgages, and uh, you made your way back to financial advising for individuals. What made you want to move more into individual financial assistance and advising? Well, when I decided that I wanted to work in the financial industry, you know, one of the couple of things that were really important to me were to help people and to educate people. And so I found I had so much knowledge from working in different different areas of the bank, but I really wanted to be able to help people organize their money, feel good about their money, and make sure that they were making really good choices, but also informed choices, that they understood, you know, what they were doing and why it made sense to them. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get out of the corporate world and really be able to help people and make a difference. That's great. It gives me like a good feeling to know, you know, financial advisors are something they'd be kind of intimidating for people. Um, And it's something that maybe comes with a um, stigma that it's only for wealthy people um, or you need a lot of money to have a financial advisor. But that's not the case. And it's it's nice to know um, your background and um, that you're really looking out for people. Um, And that's also a question I had. Is it only for wealthy people, financial advising, you know, with that stigma? Um, it kind of maybe scares some people off from consider financial advising or estate planning. Right. The industry has changed and still changing so much. And what I would say to that is, you know, I feel like, you know, when you talk about being wealthy and needing an advisor, it's something that has always seemed like, I always picture the Wizard of Oz and the wizard be, being behind the green curtain. And you know he's behind the green curtain, but you don't really know much about the wizard behind the curtain. You're afraid to ask because you feel like you should know about the wizard. Um, so anyway, I, you're right. You do not have to be wealthy. You know, everyone uses money every mm-hmm. single day. It's an exchange to buy and sell things that we need or want. So our industry has changed from being just, stock pickers to really helping people holistically plan so many different things. Um, And that includes your investments, retirement, goals you want to accomplish today, the right insurance, um, helping people with estate planning and kind of all, every aspect of organizing your wealth. So you, you know, and being wealthy is subjective too, right? That's Mm -hmm. a different number for everyone. So what I find is whether people have more money than they need or not enough, they still need to get it organized and make sure they're making good choices. So I think that everyone should take the opportunity to talk with someone that is a financial advisor at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, you touched on estate planning there for a second. I want to circle back to that. Um, when should someone start estate planning? Is it ever too early to start estate planning? Uh, it's never too early. I am a uh, cancer survivor myself. Self. Oh, wow. So when you start to think about your own mortality, you know, I'm pretty young. That could happen at any mm-hmm. age. So no, no, you can never plan too early. And honestly, estate planning is the best gift that you can leave your loved ones. Mm-hmm. You know, I... Um, not to get too personal here, but when you were diagnosed with cancer, and I'm so glad that um, you are here with us, and that that you have made it through all that, and it can, and I really admire that, and I think that that adds to your journey um, in doing what you're doing now, and in the career that you're in. When you were diagnosed, did it kind of shift your mindset a little bit on your role um, in in your career as well, and financial advising, and um, and the clients that you work with? 
It really did. You know, um, knowing that you could not be here and that it actually could happen and that you're, you know, we all know we're not invincible, but we still kind of deep down at our core believe that we are to some extent invincible. So that completely changed my perspective that, you know, I myself at a young age need to make sure that I've got my ducks in a row and that everything that I have is organized in case I were to leave this earth. And um, so, yeah, it has changed the conversations that I have with all of my clients, no matter what their age is. Mm -hmm. So how does one get started with estate planning? What does that first step look like? Yep. So the first step would be to think about what's most important to you when you leave this world. What do you want to happen to your to your assets? What do you want to have happen to your your tangible things that are important to you that you want to go to specific people? So start to think about what you want to happen when you're not here anymore and how you want that to happen for your family. There's so many aspects of estate planning. It's not just, you know, I need a will and that's going to lay out who everything goes to. There's beneficiaries on accounts. There's ways to avoid certain um, certain documentation and public documentation upon your death. And I really think it's also important for your family to know what what do you want to happen? How do you want them to celebrate your life? You know, it, it's really not a good time for your family to be making financial decisions mm-hmm. when they're trying to decide how to honor your life. Mm, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, when you, you've touched on family here a few times, when is the appropriate time to involve your family? If, if you're anything like my family, they want to be involved in the whole thing um, from the very get-go right. <laughs> and, and also have their say in everything. Um, but when is the appropriate time to involve your family in, in the conversation and in this process? So, you know, for, for aging parents, it's really important that before, you know, before you can't make decisions, they need to know, you know, what's important to you. So the earlier, the better, I say with that, too. You know, with me, I've sat down and I've had a conversation with my husband, my spouse, about here's what I want, here's what I want to happen if I'm not here. This is how it should work if I'm not here. This is who you need to talk to. And we've got it all written down. And same thing with aging parents. You need to sit down with someone that's important to you, be that a child or a, another family member or a friend, and let them know, hey, this is the planning I've done. This is what's important to me so that they're not trying to figure out when you're not here what they need to do first. Um, so if you haven't had that conversation with your important person that you would want to be in charge when you're not here, you need to have them sit down with you and your financial advisor or your attorney that's done the planning for you and make sure that they are aware of how things are supposed to happen. That sounds like the ideal scenario, and I, I think we should all, you know, make it a point to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think so often we, we tend to put these things off or maybe neglect it, and then, uh, you know, a crisis happens, and then we're, we're kind of thrusted into this. So for, for those who experience that, you know, what, what are the main things that we need to keep in mind with an estate plan when we're, we're suddenly we're presented with a, a scenario that we, we were not foreseeing? Right. So I think it's really important to, number one, you've got to find the documentation if, and find out if there was. And typically those can be recorded. Um, 
if there was some planning done, typically, typically it's recorded. And then you want to make sure that you find out where all the accounts are and you want to, you know, get with an attorney to help you make sure that you're processing the estate the way that it should be done. Because that can be a very lengthy process and it's one that you don't want to do incorrectly. So you, I would definitely advise the help of a professional um, to get through that. Mm-hmm. Well, Claren, if folks are looking to find more information about you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Sure, sure. So I have a website. You can Google uh, Edward Jones, Claren Engelbreath, and my name should pop up. And all of our, our address, our office hours, and our contact information is there. Would love to have a conversation with anybody that's looking just to get some advice on where do I start because every person is different and every situation is different. So happy to help however I can. Wonderful. Again, she is Claren Inglebreath. If you want to find more information about her, just Google Edward Jones, Claren Inglebreath, and you'll find more. She's a financial advisor and mother of four boys, and we really appreciate her time today. Claren, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, we are out of time for today. We appreciate you joining us, and we hope that you uh, have a wonderful New Year's Day and a wonderful 2022 as well. We hope you'll join us again next week. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.